Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. He says when they persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake, he says rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. That's in Matthew 5 verses 11 and 12. That blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, he says, for great is your reward in heaven. So this group, he says, look, on earth you're broke for me, but in heaven you got reward. Many of us would be quick to agree that one of the last things that we feel when we're being persecuted is a sense of rejoicing. Even after the fact, we sometimes get hung up on how someone can be so intolerant towards someone just because they think differently. However, Pastor Bill will teach you in his message today. The Bible does indeed tells us to rejoice when we experience such things. In his study, you'll be encouraged to remember the reward that awaits you in heaven when you suffer for the gospel. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Revelations chapter 2 as he continues his message, The Church of Smyrna. There's only two of the seven churches that he has nothing but positive things to say. Now, there are some churches where he only has negative to say. You don't want to be that church. We'll see him as we get there. But to the church of Smyrna that's being persecuted, there's no correction, only commendation and exhortation to them. He says, I know your works. And he began to list them. First, he says, tribulation. I know your tribulation. I know you guys are going through it. I know that things are difficult for you guys. It's not that it skipped by me. Sometimes when we go through it and believers get discouraged and they're like, where is God? Where is I'm going through it? Where is he? Um, as though, and this is what we have to be careful about. Is there any verse in the Bible that promises that if you be faithful to God, you won't go through difficulty? Quite the contrary, right? Second Timothy chapter three, verse 12 says, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. God says, it's a fact. If you living for me, count on it. It's going to come. Jesus told the early disciples when he was, they were just getting going. He says, look, if they hated me, what? They're going to hate you. They're going to feel the same way they feel about me. If you represent me, they're going to feel the same way about you. Get ready to be hated. Get ready to not be popular. Get ready to not be liked to be my disciple. And so here he says, look, I know your works. I know your tribulation. I know you're going through it. And some might ask, well, God, if you see what I'm going through, why don't you get me out of it? Why don't you fix it? Maybe you've gone through hardship, difficulty, and you say, God, I want, I want out. I want you to fix my problem. I want you to take me out of the difficulty. I want you to see a trend in scripture, you guys. And I mean this. Pay attention to this. God doesn't often pull people out of the difficulty. He's more, God would rather strengthen you to endure than to remove you from the challenge. You guys know that? You go back to your Bible and you'll see that there are people that went through it and God didn't remove them from the trial. He strengthened them to endure. Think of Joseph. Think of all that he went through. God gave this kid a dream and he believed God and they hated him for it and threw him in a hole and sold him into slavery and accused a raping a woman that he ran from and on and on and on. And God didn't fix the trial. God didn't change it for him. God said, I'm making you into the man I want you to be through it. And later on, Joseph was a special tool in the hand of the Lord, second in charge, saved the whole nation, forgave his family. I mean, God did wonderful things through him. But look at what he went through to get there. Right. Look at what he endured to get where God was trying to take him. God didn't remove him from the trial. Think of Daniel, uh, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Faithful. God, you know, Nebuchadnezzar said, bow to my image or I'll burn you. 
And they're like, nah, we, we ain't the bowing type, sir. And we're not bowing to your image. We only rep, we only bow to the Lord. And Nebuchadnezzar's mad. He said, if you guys don't bow, I'm going to burn you. And they, they say, we're not going to bow. And they thrown into the fire. God didn't remove them from the challenge. He showed up in the fire with them supernaturally. And they endured. And they went through it. Daniel, they were hating on Daniel so tough because God blessed him. They said, man, we got to come up with something against Daniel. Daniel's life was so smooth in God. They said, we can't find anything. We got to make prayer illegal to get Daniel because we know he prays every day, three times a day in the windowsill. We got to make prayer illegal. And they did that. Daniel got thrown to a lion's den and God showed up. God didn't remove these men from the challenges. He let them go through it. Now, as you go study your Old Testament, you look at all the prophets. Y'all know some of the prophets died for their obedience to speak God's message. Why didn't God protect them? Why didn't God prevent them from death? Why did God let wicked men do wicked things to his servants? And this is where we have to get out of the earthly perspective and into the eternal perspective. When these men died horrible deaths for their faith, where did they go? When they, where did they wake up at? With the Lord, right? And we will learn that there's a reward for that. There, y'all know this. If you die for your faith, there's a special reward for that. So while from earth's perspective, it's like, no, God, why would you let that happen from Heaven's perspective, they're not in heaven saying, man, I wish I could have died a regular death. You know what I mean? Nobody that died for their faith is in heaven saying, if I could come back and do it again, I would die a normal death because they're rewarded for eternity. So sometimes I just need the eternal perspective to help me out a little bit. So let's move on. I know your works. He says your tribulation. I know you guys are going through it. Then he says this and your poverty. And again, the believers, the Christians in Smyrna, they were in poverty because they were being robbed, fired from jobs because of the persecution. So they were living in a time where, look, if you guys are going to name the name of Christ, you guys aren't going to bow to see. We won't hire you here. We won't keep you employed here. We won't allow you there. And they were being they were poor because of their position in Christ. So if you was an undercover on the DL Christian, I guess you could have kept your job. But for those that were really walking it out and living for the Lord, they were losing jobs and money and property. So imagine living in a rich area, but because you love the Lord, you're broke. You're poor in the midst of wealth because you represent the Lord. That's discouraging. That'd be a bummer. That'd be, you know, maybe maybe these guys were bummed out. Maybe they were wondering, like, God, what? Why? Like, why? Why? Why are we living like this? Why is it going this way? Um, it'll all be worth it for them eventually. But that's what they were going through. They were in poverty for those reasons. We don't know that kind of persecution, not that heavy. But I've seen things in our in my time where I say that's a glimpse of it. Some of you guys know the football player. It used to be a football player, Tim Tebow. Right. And what would he do when he get a touchdown? He would give God the glory. What they, we could, they called it Tebow or whatever they called it. You know, it, it was nothing bad. I mean, he was just going down and, you know, giving God the glory for it. That became a thing. Then it became an undesirable thing, and then he got blackballed out right on out the NFL for that thing. He was still, when he got put out of the NFL, he was still better than people that were sitting on benches. They would not give him a job because it was controversial now. People had made a big stink about it. People didn't want to see him T-bowing, you know, and they just, we don't want that in football. Now, my whole life, I've watched people get touchdowns and turn up. I mean, I've been through the air with people that have thrown Sharpies in the, in the turnbuckle. I didn't watch, you know, the Icky Shuffle and the Deion Sanders in that day. And I'm like, this brother just want to glorify God. That became illegal to do. Lost his job. That's, in a sense, persecution. They wouldn't do that for nobody else. If he was Muslim, they would not have done that. 
If he was, you know, you know, if he was doing some some regenerative, you know, Eastern religion thing, they wouldn't have done that. But because he was representing Jesus, it was just becoming a thing that they didn't want. We didn't want that in our organization. He got left out there. These believers were enduring that kind of persecution. They're in poverty because they love the Lord. And again, someone might beg the question, why doesn't God do something? God will do something ultimately, but it's not always God's will to snatch us out of challenges. Sometimes the work that God is doing in us in the midst of challenge, the benefit is greater than if he were to pull us out of what we were going through. And so he says, I know your works. I know your tribulation. I know your poverty. Notice what he says. I know your poverty, he says, but you were rich. I know that on earth you're in poverty, but he says, but you're really rich. How does that work? How can you be in poverty yet be rich? And I want to give you this in, um, in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus said this to the disciples as he was preparing them for what it would be like to walk with him. He says, when they persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake, he says, rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. That's in Matthew 5 verses 11 and 12. He said, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice. And be exceedingly glad, he says, for great is your reward in heaven. So this group, he says, look, on earth you're broke for me, but in heaven you got reward. Now, I would think about this. What does is, what is that, what is the eternal reward look like? What does that reward look like? If God says great is your reward in heaven, what does it look like? We don't know, but we know that God can give good gifts. Amen. And it's eternal. So whatever you lost down here is temporary. Whatever you have on earth is temporal. God says, look, you lost out on the temporal but I'm providing you with eternal reward. Um, and so he says to them here, you guys are in poverty, but he says, really, you're rich. Interesting that there's another group, another church later on that they said that they were rich. Jesus says that I, I see you guys as miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Uh, we'll come to that church later. And so moving on, he says, I know your works, your tribulation, your poverty, but you are rich. And he says, I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not but are of the synagogue of Satan. So there were people during their time that were, there were Jews that were not Christians. And so they were having a hard time, even with their own countrymen, their own uh, other people that were, they were Jewish, but they weren't Jewish believers that were giving them a hard time. And God called them the synagogue of Satan. He's like, I know, I know the, the blasphemy of those that say that they're Jews. They say they're, they're with, they say they believe, but they don't. And so they were having those challenges. He says, I'm aware of these things. And God is just letting them know, I know what you're going through. I know your poverty. I know your tribulation. I know you're among those that are giving you a hard time spiritually and everything else. I know everything that's going on. Can I encourage you guys that are going through it right now that God would say to you, I know everything that you're going through. And God knows you guys believe he cares. He definitely cares. But God his, the way he helps, the way he intervenes is different sometimes than what we would want. We want relief. When I'm going through it, because I go through it sometimes, and when I go through it, I want God to take it away. If I got trials, I want the trials to end yesterday. If I got challenges coming, I'm like, that's enough already. I'd like it to be over. And my prayers are in that direction, but I could just say from this, where I'm at right now, God doesn't always answer those prayers the way I ask them. And sometimes as I get on the other side of a trial, as I get on the other side of a challenge, I realize that God has taken me deeper. God has strengthened me. God has made me more like him. He's created, he's made my character better. 
Um, sometimes God is just saying, I'm going to thicken up your skin. You're in battle, son. So you got to get you got to get better at war. And sometimes God's not going to stop the battle, slow the thing down. He's preparing you to be a better vessel. And so I don't always get it the way I want it. But God is always right in what he does. He's always right. He always loves me. He always cares. He always has my best interest in mind. He just doesn't always do it the way I want. And I'm not God. He is. Amen. We have to get better at accepting that because y'all hear this from me that if you guys go here, y'all know that I believe it's wrong when Christians say that they're mad at God. I've heard some pastors, no, it's okay to get mad at God. Sometimes you get mad at God. Stupid, foolish, crazy. Never, 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 never. If you get mad at God, who can help you then? Satan got you right where he wants you. That's the foolish thing you can do. On your worst moment in the worst day of your life, you can't be mad at God. Because here's the thing. Some people are mad at God for not keeping a promise he never made. God never said you wouldn't go through it. He never said you wouldn't get a disease. He never said somebody love you wouldn't die or leave you or go wrong. And so you mad at God like he made a promise he didn't keep. That's not right. Then the flip side is Satan's got you isolated because if you're mad at God, fall out of fellowship. I'm not going to read my Bible. I'm not going to go to church. Satan's like, I got you. I'm about to wreak havoc in your life. It's over. That's a lose-lose situation. Don't ever get mad at God. Get mad at the devil. You can get mad at the circumstance. You can look in the mirror and get mad at yourself, but don't get mad at God. Amen. You guys remember the book of Job? Satan had an agenda. God and Satan had a discussion in the unseen realm. God is bragging on Job. God tells Satan, hey, what you, where you been? Satan says, I've been going back and forth, to and fro, you know, ruining lives and such. I paraphrase. And, G, and God said to him, have you considered that word considered means study for war. Have you considered my servant, Job? And then God boasted. He said, there's none like him in all the land. Upright, blameless, fears God, shuns evil. Have you checked him out? Satan says, well, as a matter of fact, I have. And there's a hedge about him and all that he has on every side. How does Satan know that? He couldn't get through. Hedge about him and all that he has on every side. And then Satan said this. He made this accusation against Job. He says, Job doesn't love you for nothing. He just loves you because you've blessed him so much. Let me touch his things. and He will surely curse you to your face. So everything Satan did to Job was with the agenda that Job would get mad at God. That's what he wanted. Satan wanted Job. Satan heard God brag on Job and says, I will make him curse you to your face. And so Satan got permission from God to touch all that he had, but not touch him. And look what he did. He took all his wealth. He was a wealthy man. All of his stuff gone in one day. And then his children all died in one day. That's enough to blow anybody away. One kid died. All the kids died. And Job got that information back to back to back to back to back, just overwhelming fashion. And then God came back and said, hey, what happened? You know, what's going on? He said, oh, Satan says skin for skin. All that a man has, he'll give for his own flesh. And God said, you can touch him, but you can't take his life. And Satan struck Job with boils from the top of his head to the soles of his feet and took his health away. And he sat there and it says that Job sitting in his pot shirt, you know, with ashes, this pitiful condition that he was in, tore his clothes. And what did Job do? He worshiped, which is the opposite of curse. He worshiped God in that moment. Um, that had to be the biggest in your face. Where God was like, I thought he was going to curse me. The boy worshiping, you know, on the worst day of his life. And then he goes through the rest of these tests. At the end of the book, God blesses Job's life. He blesses him things. He, God replenished all of his stuff. 
God gave him kids again, and God gave him an extra long life to enjoy his kids and grandkids for three generations. God's intention was a blessing in the end. But you go back to the beginning of that book. What did Satan want? He wanted Job to curse God, get mad at God. He even somehow Satan even got it into Miss Job. Miss Job went to Job and said, Job, do you still hold fast your integrity? Why don't you just curse God and die? Well, we know she got that from the devil because those were the words that came out of his mouth. And I don't know how they got into Miss Job's mouth, but they did. But they, 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 they made it because they, they had kids together later. But Miss Job was tripping. Amen. <laughs> so don't get mad at God when you're going through it because you need him like never before. And the beautiful thing in the book of Job, the largest portion of the book of Job is his interaction with God. A man that already knew and loved God was going to learn a lot more about God through his trial. He'll be better for it at the end. Amen. Not worse, but better. And so. So will you. So if you're going through it, you're disappointed, you're bummed out, don't be disappointed with the Lord. Understand that sometimes it's God's process to take us through persecution. He doesn't want to pluck you out of it. He wants to strengthen you in the midst of it. Amen. So he tells him again, I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, uh, but are the synagogue of Satan. Look at verse 10. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. God says, I want you to fear. I don't want you to be afraid. Do not fear. Literally, the translation here means stop being afraid. They were already afraid. And God says, I don't want you to be afraid. I want you guys to hear this because it's so important. God doesn't want believers to fear anything or anybody but him. Why? Because fear gives control, right? If you become fearful, if you make decisions based on fear, Fear will take the place of God in your life. God wants to have supremacy, lordship. He wants you to say, Father, what do you want me to do? Father tells you what to do and you obey him. But if you operate in fear, fear will take God's place. Let's say God is saying, I want you to go do that. And you're saying, I fear my finances won't work out if I do that. So I'm afraid that that won't work out. Therefore, you fear finances. You fear your provision. You fear that that won't work out. Fear is now keeping you from obeying God in an area of your life. There's some people that are afraid that God won't do them right. God, there are people that are, you know, waiting on God and God is taking too long to bring them a spouse or bring them a person. And they're fearful that if, if I wait on God, it's not going to work out. So I'm going to go do it myself. Fear that God won't be faithful. Fear that, you know, God's going to wait too long or somehow you're going to lose out. Some people are afraid if they let God choose. He's going to choose somebody holy and ugly, uh, whatever. And so you name it, fear will mislead you. But this is important over here because they were dealing with fear that is directly related to your faith. Fold on your faith, right? Don't honor God. Don't give, don't give honor to God. Give honor to Caesar. And God says, I don't want you to fear. The, the threats are getting ready to turn up. It's going to go beyond poverty. It's going to go to physical damage. They're going to, some of you are going to maybe die even for this. He says, don't fear them. I don't want you to be afraid of them. And can I tell you something? There's something freeing about not operating in fear, not being willing to be afraid. Something that I credit my mother with. Uh, the way my mom raised me, my mom grew up, at, I found out as I was an adult, my mom was in a, a household as a child where she was beaten. Later on, my mom and some of her sisters endured molestation in-house through a stepbrother. My mom then just overthrew her life. And so my mom was just there was something ingrained in her where she did not want us to be victims. She did not want us to be victimized or bullied. And so I trip out today when I see all this non-bullying campaign. This, that. And my mom's antidote was this. No, you're going to fight whoever. I had an issue, issue at school. There was a kid that we would fight after school back and forth, back and forth. He had a cousin that came to my school. So now it was two on one. 
And I remember my mom rolling up one day to pick me up. And I was just out there shuffling with these guys. And I'm like, oh, oh my mom saved me. And I was running to the car. My mom said, oh, no. She said, no, you're going to go back. If she's getting out of the car, you're going to go back and hit him. He's not going to jump in. I'll be right there. You're going to go fight him. My mom was like, this is not going to happen every day. You're going to right back. Go get it. Um, I had somebody jack me for a bike. And my mom's boyfriend took me to the guy's house. And they said, no, you're going to fight him and get your bike back and end this. It's going to end right here. I'll watch. No one's jumping in. That was her antidote. As I got older, I realized it's a benefit to not being fearful easily, to not being made afraid of things. Fear has a, 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 it's got torment and control over it. You got some people that are so afraid of things and it's like, man, you're tormented. You're under, people control you through fear. But if you don't fear, they don't have control. I'm not afraid. What's the worst that could happen? You win. You beat me up. Whatever. You know, but I won't lose. You're not going. That was my mom's. Even if you lose, you, you, do, you get some in, you know, and that was just my upbringing. I'm not saying it's the Christian way or anything like that. Don't ask my kids what we taught them. But, you know, <laughs> they don't need bully campaigns. That's all that, you know. So but God is saying to them here, I don't want you to be afraid because, again, fear does involve torment. Fear does give control to somebody that's not God. God says, I want control. Fear me. No one else deserves to be feared anyway. So he says, do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Notice he doesn't say, I'm going to take away the suffering. God's, I mean, imagine being the pastor of this church and they've been suffering and they, he's reading the letter and the letter doesn't say, I'm going to fix all your problems and take away the suffering. It actually says it's going to get worse, but don't be afraid. Y'all are about to suffer. I'm going to set a time frame on it. He says, don't fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. You will have tribulation 10 days. So a few things here. The source of the tribulation is who? The devil. He's got to say, look, the devil's going to bring the tribulation. Um, he's going to. This is something that we got to recognize, too, that Satan tem, Satan's temptation is many times God's test. It's the same situation. But from Satan, it's a temptation for you to fail. From God, it's a test to prove you. The situation with Job, from Satan, it was a temptation for Job to curse God and die. From God, it was a test. I'm allowing Job to go through this test to prove him. I already said he was upright, blameless, fear God and shun evil. Now we're going to prove it. And he gets proven. The test, the temptation that you go through that God allows in our lives for this group, he's God said, I'm going to allow it. It's going to last 10 days. Don't be afraid of them. You're going to endure. The devil's going to put some of you into prison. You're going to be tested. You're going to have tribulation 10 days, but don't fear them. Don't buckle. Don't recant. Don't bow the knee. Don't, don't not name the name of Christ. Let, after that, he says, be faithful unto death. Here's the thing. Some of them are going to be pressed until they got to die for their faith. What if you were put in a scenario where you're going to either recant Christ or die? How many of us stand that? How many of us withstand? We don't live in that culture. We don't live in that area. But you know there are believers today that live under that? Uh, we got brothers and sisters in other parts of the world that are enduring that level of persecution right now. There, there are people that live for Christ in areas where, I mean, if, if they get found out, beatings, burned alive, women raped, families pillaged, everything else, that's today 
in other parts of the world. It's not like that in America. And, we, and if, we don't, if we don't pay attention to what's happening in other parts of the world, we can be disconnected from those realities. But there are brave believers in other parts of the world that are enduring that. There are pastors getting yanked out of churches and burned and beaten publicly on streets by Muslims and other beliefs and practices and whatnot. And so when he says it's here, don't, don't, don't cower, man. I want you to be faithful even to death. God is saying, even if it means you got to die for it, I want you to stand your ground. I want you to, I want you to hold your ground. I don't want you to fold. I don't want you to recant. You've been listening to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. Today's message from the book of Revelation is available to listen to again on our website. Just visit CalvaryEnglewood.org and click on media. Or you can download our mobile app to listen to more teachings. You'll find a link on our website. You can also search for Calvary Chapel Inglewood in our app store. If you're looking for a place to connect this weekend, we'd love for you to join us for church. Look on our website for the latest times and locations for services. We're a group of people who love to learn from God's Word and be together as a family of God. Again, our website is calvaryinglewood.org. As we've looked into the book of Revelation, keep in mind that this book is not all doom and gloom. It ends the way the Bible began, in paradise. For those who love and follow Jesus, this book provides hope in God rescuing us from all that is broken and corrupt. So keep looking for that in the midst of much heartache here on earth. If you felt the blessing of this ministry in your life, we'd love for you to partner with us in praying for those who hear a transforming word. As the message go out, many listeners may be hearing about the Lord for the very first time. This ministry is a great opportunity to share the good news of Jesus and his salvation. We ask that you pray for ears to be opened, hearts to be softened, and for lives to be changed. That's all we have time for today. Join us again for another edition with Pastor Bill on A Transforming Word.